Well, good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Cabot. Glad to be with you here this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. Uh, Father God, you are the joy of our hearts and the boast of our tongues. By your grace, we offer our hearts to you. We ask that you help us discern the truth from a lie, that we might know you and love you with the integrity of heart and mind. There is no God but you. Although you are so great that the heavens cannot contain you, you have loved us and in some way made us like you. Help us to be more fully the people you called us to be, to live lives of truth and love. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom we follow. We are assembled as your church, with Christ as our head, our overseer, and our champion. He is the image of the invisible God, and it's in his name we come to you. God, we pray that the Spirit of Jesus would work on our hearts and minds this morning as we open your word. We pray not only for ourselves and our families, but for the surrounding community, that all who live here would know the truth and that the truth would set them free. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. But we're going to be jumping into 1 Timothy in just a second, but I want to uh, let you know some of you are planning on going this week to our, uh, the public hearing at the village. We're not sure if that's going to take place uh, on the 2nd, on October 2nd. We're going to send out a, a communication, so before you run off to that, if that's on your calendar, um, make sure that uh, you, you check in with us. We should be sending something out tomorrow by email, but uh, thanks for, for those who are supporting us in that. But we are in a series on Christian leadership, and uh, this is from the book of 1 Timothy. The purpose of this series is for us to help identify uh, leaders within this congregation, Christian leaders. It's also to help us grow in our own character and our own uh, leadership as a Christian. Um, 1 Timothy is a letter that is part of the New Testament, and, uh, and so as a letter of the New Testament, it had an original uh, sender, an original recipient, and an original situation that it was written into. I'd like to share that and remind us of that for a moment before we, sometimes we kind of jump in, we immediately apply the Bible to our circumstances, but it's really helpful to know what it was written into originally. So uh, 1 Timothy was written from Paul to his protege Timothy, who he was sending to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a place that had an existing church, uh, but false teachers had come in and were causing all kinds of harm to that particular congregation. Uh, a few weeks ago, we read uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus to command certain people not to teach false doctrine or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogy. Well, today, again, we return to this topic of false teachers. This is obviously something that was a burden on Paul's heart, something that was on his mind, and he wanted Timothy to not only be able to discern uh, the truth from a lie, but he wanted Timothy to believe the truth, to live the truth, to, to live it out. And, we wanted, and he wanted him to teach the truth. So um, what we have this morning is a section that talks about how to become a good servant of Jesus Christ, how to be a strong spiritual leader. Is this something that we need as a congregation? What do you think? Yeah. Good answer. 
Okay, so let, let's, uh, let's uh, look at the roadmap for where we're going. So just something you can hang your hat on if we're going to make three stops along the way here. And what seems to take place here is Paul is encountering different parts of, of deception, the lives that we might believe, and he counters it with the truth. So three times Paul uh, calls out a particular deception. He said, not this, but that. Not lies, but truth. Not lies, but training. Not lies, but teaching. And that's what we'll be focusing on today, uh, truth, training, and teaching. So the first stop along the way, not lies, but truth. Now, Timothy was a young leader who had, was just coming into a big mess. He was coming into a situation where leaders were teaching things falsely. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where there is a leader, you know the truth, but whoever's in charge is teaching something that's not the truth. Have you ever been in that situation? And somebody said, just look at the media. But when we think about our, our situation, that happens in churches, it happens in various communities, you have a leader that's, that's teaching something that's not the truth. And what, what are you tempted to do? Well, we're tempted to not speak up, or we're tempted to buy into their version of the truth, even though we know it's a lie. And what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to face the truth and call it out for what it is. Well, this can be a really hard spot to be in. Uh, and, and we might wonder, well, what is the particular deception that Timothy's facing here? What is this particular lie in this situation in Ephesus? And author and pastor Kent Hughes identified this particular lie as asceticism. Asceticism. You say, well, what's asceticism? Well, asceticism is sort of the precursor to Gnosticism. Is that helpful? Uh, and you say, well, what's Gnosticism? Well, so, so the idea is that the, uh, there's a dualism between the mind and the body. And in general, the body's bad and the spirit's good. Body's bad, spirit's good. Is that true scriptural teaching? Is it? No. It's not the truth. And so what's taking place here is there's distortion of Scripture, a distortion of the nature of the gospel, and what we get is something that's less than the truth. In fact, Paul was so frustrated with the same situation. Now, this is a different context. This is the, the writing to the Colossians, that this is what he wrote in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Where do these teachings come from? Where do the false teachings come from? Apparently, this teaching had both demonic and human origin. In 1 Timothy 4, uh, 1 through 2, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons. Such teachings have come through, 
hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. False spiritual teachings come from false spirits. Go figure. Um, so the devil has been called the father of lies, and he has many tactics, not just asceticism. In fact, Paul, the other pastoral epistle, uh, Paul's letter to Titus, the problem is not asceticism, it's kind of the opposite. It's gluttony. And so Paul tells Titus how to deal with people that are experiencing gluttony. The commonality here is not the tactics that are used. The commonality is that, um, that the devil wants harm to, take, uh, to be caused to people. And the chief means of that harm being caused is deception and lies. It's the lies we believe that create the shackles that bind us. It's the lies we believe that cause harm to us. And those are the tactics that are used against us. And uh, you know what's really interesting when I, when I think of these um, bad spiritual forces? I don't, know, I don't know, some of you have probably had experiences with, um, that you just can't account for. And, uh, and, and you think, you know, there, there really is a spirit world and some of these spirits are not good. And I think I intellectually believed that until we started church planting, and I experientially believed that, realized that maybe in my head I believed it, in my heart I didn't. And uh, when we first started planting LifeSpring Community Church, all these crazy things started happening that I couldn't explain. I realized there is a spiritual battle going on. There is something that I can't explain. I'm having dreams that are taking place. I've had threats against my family. All these crazy things are taking place. Right around the same time, I started reading books about it, calling people on it, saying, what the heck is going on? Lo and behold, there is a spirit world out there. We're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings as well, and there are good and bad spirits. Now, this is not something to dwell on, but it's something we definitely need to believe and understand that there are lies that are told to us and we actually believe and are reinforced um, by bad spirits. And the solution is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not to be encouraged by bad spirits. And where, where does negative self-talk come from? It's in that same category. Negative self-talk is not from God. It is something that is, is there to harm us. And uh, we're going to talk more about that and, and how we can get over it. But the human teachers propagating this philosophy were hypocrites. They're bad actors. What they said was not consistent with who they were. And uh, so as the old Saint Thomas Adams wrote, the word of life may be so distorted from the life of the word till it becomes the food of death. So it was in Ephesus. Teachers were distorting the gospel. They were serving up the food of death and calling it the word of life. And so Paul said, not lies, but truth. Well, if you want to have something that's not a lie, you need to have the truth in you. You need to read the truth. You need to believe the truth. And so in 1 Timothy 4.4, Paul wrote, particularly towards this lie of asceticism, for everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it has been consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Now, the things that were identified here uh, for asceticism, things that uh, these false teachers are saying you shouldn't do, um, marriage, sex, food, 
all, all these things that we might enjoy the body, we want to we get rid of these things because the body's bad, so we don't want to feed those, those types of things. But marriage is good, sex is good, food is good, and our appropriate posture on all these things is one of thanksgiving. Um, the word consecrate means to make holy. Something that is holy is acceptable to God, and what God has made is acceptable to him when we use it as he intends. Let me just say that again. What, what, is, what God has made is acceptable to him when we use it as he intends. Sometimes we don't use what God makes as he intends. But we know that what God has given us is good because he created it, because scripture says it's good, and when we offer it back in thanksgiving and in prayer, it is good. James 1.16 says, Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So is it wrong to marry or to enjoy sex in the context of a godly marriage? No. God gave men and women both sex and marriage. Tim Keller calls the... Um, the act of sex, the renewal of the marriage covenant. Now, false teachers taught that it was wrong to marry and that sex was evil. Did they ever read the Song of Solomon? Did they ever read Paul's epistles and letters? No. Is it wrong to enjoy good food, or is it wrong to even have a glass of wine? No. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Jesus both, listen to this, Jesus both feasted and fasted. He both feasted and fasted and was criticized for the feasting. And uh, in the book of Revelations, when all things are consummated and made new and the new heavens and new earth, there's a picture of a great feast. And anyone who is invited to that feast is blessed. So I want to clarify um, so what we said is we don't want to think negatively about the body, and yet there are spiritual disciplines. So the two spiritual disciplines we are most familiar with are reading scripture and prayer, but there are other spiritual disciplines like fasting and solitude and abstinence and so forth, and are those spiritual disciplines bad? And I want to differentiate. We know that spiritual disciplines are good, but that's very different from what asceticism was teaching. How do we know that spiritual disciplines were good? Well, uh, not only did Jesus' disciples practice them, but Jesus himself practiced them. For 40 days, uh, Jesus fasted. Jesus spent long nights in solitude and in prayer. Jesus practiced these spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines can be helpful because what they do is they help us to set aside, say that the needs of the body are not so great that I can't focus on my spirit at this time. And so uh, that's, that's a different sort of thing. God gave us our bodies, and they are good, but they don't control us. Uh, men and women can pervert good things God has given us. We are a fallen people. We can misorder our affections so that we love the things that God gave us more than God himself. But this doesn't change the raw fact that God gave us good things to enjoy. So not lies, but truth, Paul told Timothy. Uh, if you want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a, a, a minister of the gospel, then what you need to do is stand up for all of this. 
Now think, the teachers were saying, this is the, the worldview, this is the way life is. Spirit's good, body's bad. And in order for Timothy to break into that in this established church, he was going to have to counter what they had to say. It's a gutsy thing to do, to stand up for the truth. And Paul is saying, do it. You've got to do it. A servant of Christ believes the truth. Now he goes on, Paul goes on, he says, if you point these things out, this is in verse 6, if you point these things out to your brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourishing on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. So don't, now, now listen to this, the one problem is maybe you won't stand up for the truth, but Paul's telling Timothy, neither should you believe it. Don't get sucked into these teachings. They're not right. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Don't get sucked into false teachings. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Is there anyone here that's training for something? Anybody training for a marathon or a musical instrument or nothing? Nobody's training for anything here? We've got one hand back there, one honest person here. There's got to be more. All right, so have you ever trained for anything? Have you ever gotten a driver's license? Have you ever been trained at your job? Have you ever been trained not to use a diaper? You know, we've, we've all been trained in something, right? And some of us have experienced physical training. We've had coaches that have trained us. I used to have this old Armenian coach and, and, and track, and, and uh, I remember one time I came back and said, Coach, I, I'm, I'm about to throw up. He said, Good, if you haven't puked, you haven't had a good workout. Paul says, Physical training has some value. Uh, training, whether it's for muscle and weight, skills, competition, music, acting, speech, Anything else has value. Parents place their kids in all sorts of activities because they want them to be trained. They want them to, to grow, and they're sure if, if, if little Johnny doesn't, doesn't do Little League that he's going to be a failure. We do all sorts of things that are training. Godliness, on the other hand, is far more important and far better because it has lasting impact in this life and in the life to come. Parents, when you train your children in character, it's far more important that they grow in that area than in any other skill they might master. And so we want to grow deeper and richer and stronger in character. We want to grow closer to God, learning to serve others. And in the next life, when we're finally perfected with God, all of that is worthwhile. The truth is, we should all be training for godliness, every one of us. Uh, the apostle says, you're not wrong to train yourself physically. It's good to keep your body in shape. But what is better is training in godliness because it has value forever. Now, if you've ever entered any type of intense training, there, you know there are stages that take place, especially if we've let ourselves get a little bit out of shape. Uh, if you've ever tried to go back to training physically after you've let yourself get a little bit out of shape, it's not fun. It's kind of difficult. I won't ask for a show of hands. You guys aren't raising hands. But if, 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 you, if you start out and you say, well, I want to go run a marathon and you can't walk a mile, 
You need to start out by walking. And you need to start out by exercising. And for the first couple of weeks, you might not even like it. Is it worthwhile? Absolutely it's worthwhile. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Well, the same thing takes place when we are training ourselves in godliness. If we've set our, let ourselves get a little spiritually flabby, it's going to be harder for us to enter into spiritual discipline. And so we need to make steady steps in the right direction. Uh, or as the book goes, a long obedience in the same direction. We want to grow in godliness, and we need to make regular steps of training along the way so that we can do that. One of the things that we need to do is we need to set aside the Twinkies. In Timothy's case, that means set aside the false teachings. So training in godliness requires the truth of Scripture to be deeply embedded. That requires a routine of reading God's Word and prayer. Training in godliness requires us to know who God is, who God says that we are, and how we ought to live. And as we train and our spiritual muscles grow, our inclination will also continue with this training. If you've ever mastered anything physically, some sort of physical training, you realize that after a while you actually start to enjoy it once you get into that spot. Now, I have some suggestions on training and godliness, some practical suggestions. The first one is in my pocket here. Um, memorize scripture. Take a piece of scripture and uh, print it out. This is, I didn't like rip a piece out of my Bible, just, you know, get it online, print it out on a piece of paper and fold it up and stick in your pocket and memorize it. Um, a few folks and I are memorizing this passage in Colossians 1, 13 through 20. Maybe some of you are doing that. Uh, this particular passage has to do with the nature of Christ. What is Christ like? How would we know? What if we had this sort of scripture at our disposal in our head? Another scripture I love and I've memorized is Philippians 4. Philippians 4 is the recipe for anxiety and worry. What should we do when we have anxiety and worry? What if that were readily in our hearts and minds and lips? So I encourage not only the reading of Scripture, but actually committing it to memory, because once it, we have it in memory, it's ours. Secondly, prayer. Now, you knew this was coming, but I want to encourage you, one of the things we can do in prayer, sometimes, some of us... Some of us struggle with reading scripture. Some of us struggle with prayer. I've often found that somebody who's strong in one struggles in the other area. Well, if your struggle is prayer, there are different ways to pray. One of the things that I like to do is I'll write out my prayer. And as I'm writing out my prayer, I am praying it to the Lord. It slows me down. It helps me to think about it. And if I have made a prayer request, later I find out that God has answered it. I can see that and it increases my faith. That's a really beautiful thing. We can also write out passages in Scripture. And as we're praying, if we don't know where to start, we can start with a psalm. We can just start praying a particular psalm that resonates with where we're at at this particular time and, um, and use that as a discipline. Um, solitude and quiet time. And some people say, well, I don't have any solitude or quiet time. There's an old story of Mama Wesley. She had so many little children that she finally took her apron and pulled it over her head and started to pray, and that was her quiet time. 
Some of us have more access to quiet time than others. But regardless of what stage of life we're at, we need to cut out a little bit of that and just try to, and if, if, you, if you are married with young children, give your spouse the treat of some quiet time that he or she can enjoy uh, to grow and rest in the Lord. Um, and then gathering. Um, Matthew 18, 20, for wherever two or three are gathered my name, there I am with them. This idea that, uh, that we can pray and read scripture and worship together in a group, and that actually helps to increase our faith. And we can share our burdens with one another and just do life together. That also can be a spiritual discipline. Now, if we were training for a sport, we'd probably have a goal. Uh, if you're training for the mile and you wanted to run it in four minutes, uh, I don't think I'll try that. Um, but in uh, 1 Timothy 4.10, it says, um, that is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is a savior of all people, especially those who believe. There's the goal. Our hope is in the living God. Isn't that amazing? Our hope is in the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything else. That's where our hope is placed in. We are training in godliness. The end goal is God himself will be in his presence. We'll have joy of community in that context. Uh, and it's a greater thing than we could ever imagine. That's the goal. So are you training in godliness? Are you striving, laboring over the full expression of your faith on behalf of yourself and others? A servant of Christ lives the truth, and a servant of Christ trains in godliness. Well, now we're going to get a little bit personal. So um, the third little stop along the way here is not lies, but teaching. But it starts out with this. In 1 Timothy 4.12, uh, Paul says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, Timothy is going to go into a, a problem situation in Ephesus. He's going to be speaking truth to people who are older and more experienced than he is. And, and probably more relationally connected than he is in that church, and he's going to have to, to walk in there. And one of the things he's really nervous about is his age, his physical age, because in that context, people might be looking down on him and saying, who are you to be speaking to me? Who are you? And so Paul, again, says, not this, don't. And by the way, this is a personal lie. Some of us believe a personal lie about ourselves. I'm no good because, or I can't do this because of this, or whatever it is that's, that we believe is true about ourselves that isn't really true. And it's not that Timothy wasn't really young. Paul isn't saying that. But what Paul is saying is that is not the point. The point is, and sometimes the second half of the verse gets lost, Paul tells Timothy, don't believe the lie that you're disqualified from leading this church because of your age. This is your personal lie. Don't believe what others say. 
Don't believe negative self-talk inside your head. You should not be concerned about your physical age, but rather your spiritual maturity. Don't be concerned about your physical maturity. Be concerned about your spiritual maturity. And in doing so, set an example for others in your spiritual maturity. You can't affect your physical age, but you surely can affect your spiritual maturity. And set an example in what? In the way you act, the way you love, the way you believe. Live your life with integrity and purity. Your mouth, your heart, your head, your hands must be consecrated and made holy to the Lord. That's what you need to do. That's the truth. The other is a lie. If you have your head and your heart and your hands and all of you consecrated to the Lord, you'll be setting an example others can follow. Consider this. If an outside observer was to look at your life, if it was open to them to watch you and the way that you speak and act and love and believe and to rate us in the area of purity, how would we stand? If someone was to look at our life and rate us in those areas, what would happen? In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And here Paul says, here, follow me. I'm following Jesus, you follow me. Would you feel comfortable telling somebody else that? By my example, by the integrity of my heart, my life, and everything else, if all I had to do to help another person grow was to have them look at me, would it work? Well, brothers and sisters at Lifespring, I offer you the same charge. Let others follow you as you follow Christ. Others are already watching you. Proverbs 22.1, one, one of my, the verses that rings around in my head, a good name is above all riches. Who we are and who people understand that we are really matters. A life of integrity matters. Integrity of heart and mind and character matters. Some of the things Paul exhorted Timothy to do. Devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, this is going to be a significant ministry to him. And when, it tells, um, when Paul tells Timothy to preach, it's, not, it's an unusual word that's used for preaching compared to what he normally uses. This word is, um, is sort of a, a comfort word, an encouragement word. So when you preach, encourage and comfort people through that ministry. Encourage others spiritually and pray. And then... Timothy was encouraged to, uh, to use his gift. And as we're going through this, you might be, well, what's Timothy's gift? Does anybody know what Timothy's gift is? I mean, you might not know what Timothy's gift is, but do you know what your gift is, your natural and spiritual gifting? And, uh, and I, I don't know if you do or not, but if you don't, think about it. If you, and ask others, you know, how, how am I gifted? Because those gifts are meant to be used for the edification of the body. They're meant to be used to serve others. What's my gift? Paul tells Timothy, fan it into flames. Don't forget your gift. Your gift is for the benefit of others. God has given you this gifting in order for you to accomplish this ministry that you've been given. 
And then he says, um, be diligent, immerse yourself in practice, uh, train. We've heard all these words before, but with a little different twist here, so that everyone can see your progress. Are you progressing? Are you changing? Are you becoming more loving? Are you trusting more? Are you believing more? Are you more filled with peace, more filled with joy? Are you making progress in these areas? There should be change. There should be change. Um, years ago, I was uh, uh, a chaplain at the airport, and uh, there was a, uh, uh, for some reason, I don't know how this all happened, but it, the, it was the O'Hare Airport, and I was in Minneapolis for a diff different reason, and uh, the night before I was supposed to go and, uh, and preach at the chapel, I got a little buzz on my phone and said, oh, preaching tomorrow at O'Hare, and I was in Minneapolis. I'd, I'd forgotten that it was on. And uh, so I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, what do I do here? And I was supposed to go back, but, uh, but not at that time. And so I, I, um, I finally um, was able to do standby and do all these crazy things to get back there and, and, uh, and speak. The interesting thing is um, I had uh, shared the gospel with a, a young woman who was a flight attendant a couple weeks before. And as I walked in, she said, I have questions for you. And she had received Christ. She trusted in the Lord. And, um, and you wonder, well, is she any better for it? You know, how do we know that there's, uh, there's a difference in her life? Is she growing? But the crazy thing is, it's like a couple months later, I got a call from, uh, I think it was a chapel in, in Texas, or it was a chaplain somewhere, and, uh, and they said, um, um, I want to know what happened with this woman. She is completely different, and started talking about how she'd grown and changed, and I mean, everything in her life was completely different. It's like, well, Jesus, that's awesome. Are we growing? Are we growing in our faith? Would someone else say that we are? And so uh, Paul ends his time saying, well, you know, um, watch your doctrine. Watch your character. Watch how you live your life. Watch what you believe. Do so with diligence and integrity. And persevere. Perseverance is indispensable proof of our faith. Hang in there. Hang in there and work out your salvation with fear and trembling because as you do that, others are going to see you and the gospel can work in them. In the, um, there's a book called The Bondage Breaker and this was a, a book that I started looking up when all these strange spiritual things were happening. Um, Neil Anderson wrote, the, uh, the father of lies can block your effectiveness as a Christian if he can deceive you into believing you are nothing but a product of your past subject to sin, prone to failure, and controlled by your habits. And I think in this passage, what we're seeing is that we are not stuck in our past. We are not controlled by our habits. We are not uh, the, just the sum of our failures. But what we need to do is, is believe the truth. Believe the truth about ourselves. Believe the, the truth in Scripture. We need to train ourselves in godliness. We need to ingest the word of God. We need to strengthen ourselves in prayer and surround ourselves with people that will strengthen us in our faith. We need to live out our faith in such a way that it helps ourselves and others. 
and we need to teach it. It's not enough just to live it, but we need to actually say those words with our mouth, words of scripture, words of life. Uh, let our words be life-giving to others. Well, as we are, um, we're, we're going to be, in just a minute, we're going to be doing the, uh, taking the Lord's Supper together. And, uh, and so as, as, we're, as we're transitioning to the Lord's Supper, one of the things we really want to do is set our minds and hearts on Christ. And, uh, and I can't think of a better passage of Scripture than the one I commended to you. This is the one I'm working at memorizing. I'm almost there, but, uh, but I'm going to read it for us. I think this will be, uh, be good. And I, I want you to just let this soak in because this is Jesus, the center of our faith. Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. This is our hope. This is our Savior. And this is the truth. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. And if any of us are struggling with, um, with lies, with self-talk, with a lack of integrity in any area, with believing what other people say about us. Lord, I pray that you would speak truth into our lives. Help us to trust you. Help us to ingest the word of God. Help us to delight ourselves in you. And Lord, when we see things that are not right and not true, help us to speak up and not believe them. Father, help us to live lives that are godly in such a way that if others were to see us, they would say, yes, I will follow you as you follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.